Good to see all of you here as we continue our series called Seeing Jesus. I started the series last week, Easter weekend, with Seeing the Resurrection. And I want to give you a little uh, update on Easter weekend. We did six services. Uh, we had 1,972 people attend our uh, Easter services. So, yeah, that was great. That was great. 1972. That was a great, how many of you remember 1972? Man, that was a great, uh, great year. Yeah. And, uh, we, but we had 13 people make decisions for Christ over the weekend. We baptized nine people. Uh, great, uh, great weekend at Rockbrook. And uh, today I also want to give a shout out, never done this before, but uh, you know, we put our sermons on our website and also on some other podcast sites. And so last week we had 188 people listen to a sermon online. So, you know, that's like a whole other service that's out there that we don't, we don't even know about. So I want to kind of acknowledge those people. In fact, I was in Nepal and India a couple of weeks ago and I had a couple of pastors tell me that they listened to our sermons uh, on the website. So I just think that's a cool deal. Uh, things are going great in Nepal and India, uh, despite adversity and persecution. Our church planting network there continues to grow. Uh, efforts in India are making a huge difference. Uh, I did two three-day conferences there, one in uh, the city of Lucknow and one in Agra. And I got to preach in two different churches, preached in Nepal. And I actually got to preach three different sermons in the same church uh, in India. And uh, I've never done that before. That was uh, weird. And, uh, but it was, it was great. Uh, at the conference, uh, we had 50 guys in each city, so 100 guys. We gave them each a copy of The Purpose Driven Life, The Purpose Driven Church, and the Nehemiah Leadership DVD that we recorded a few years ago. Gave them all that in Hindi. And uh, also um, gave them a case of Bibles from Voice of the Martyrs that they could take back to their congregations. And so they're just all resourced up. And uh, they were thrilled. And, they, and thank you for uh, making that possible, because you're the ones who make it possible for us to do that. And uh, we uh, also made the decision on this trip that we're going to start uh, a network in the country of Nepal. And in November, I'm going to be doing training in Nepal and in India. One of the directors in India told me, he said, uh, we could not do this network without Rockbrook. And so I just want to pass that on to you. You're doing a, a great thing. So if you've been giving uh, to our India 2020 fund, I'd encourage you to keep it up. If you didn't even know we had one or maybe you've never given to it, I'd encourage you to pray about it, ask God what he'd have you to do, and you just designate your gift, India 2020, put it in the offering bag or online. Uh, we, in the past, we've had this little container that sits in the back, and now it's out in the lobby, and we kind of had a thing where we encourage you to bring your change and dump it in there, and frankly, that, that concept has kind of run its course. And so we're going to stop with the box, but we're not stopping with the efforts, and you can continue to give, but we're just going to ask you to do it either online and, or um, in the offering bag. And when I travel, I always take some with me, someone with me, because uh, frankly, it's safer, and I need all the help I can get. And uh, Dan Kendrick went with me on this trip, and uh, Dan was a great travel buddy. Uh, Dan loves Indian food uh, even more than I do, right, Dan? <laughs> and so Dan and I ate our way across Uttar Pradesh. I mean, man, it was, it was awesome. In fact, one of the hotels we stayed in, the restaurant staff would stand and watch Dan eat. I mean, they just... <laughs> The chef actually said, tell that guy I'll fix anything he wants to eat, however he wants me to fix it. And uh, so it, it was great. And uh, the, the Indians loved Dan. Dan loved them. His testimony, when he gave that, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And, and I thought the pastors were going to stand up and cheer when they found out that Dan had eaten 12 green chilies at lunch. I mean, they just were, Dan was awesome. 
So, uh, so pack your bags, buddy. We'll go, we'll go again. But uh, huge, huge things are happening in India uh, and Nepal. And Rockbrook is part of something far, far bigger than ourselves. Do not let the bad news in the media discourage you. The good news of Jesus Christ is changing lives all over the world, and you're playing a part of it. Great things are happening because of you. And uh, yeah, yeah. So keep it up. And great things are happening for you here. Because for the next six weeks, we're going to be seeing Jesus. Uh, you know, when it comes to seeing Jesus, uh, most people have an idea of who Jesus is. But the idea they have is not based on Scripture. Uh, it's an idea of Jesus based on tradition, or maybe paintings, or movies, or maybe it's just an idea that they've made up uh, in their own head. But it's not based on what the Bible says about Jesus. And so with this series, we're going to try and point you in the right direction. And we're going to take a look at uh, Scripture to see who Jesus is. So in your worship folder, we've got message notes. If you're listening online, there's a place for you to download the notes. And on your notes, we've got our key verse for this series. It's going to be 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2. And I've chosen it, it out of the message paraphrase because it clearly lays out what we're trying to do in this series. Paul said... You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. And so that's what we're going to try and do over the next six weeks. Keep it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. And today we're going to address the topic of seeing Jesus as God. Because uh, there are those today who reject the idea of Jesus as God. In fact, it's kind of trendy in fringe theological circles today to assert that Jesus never claimed to be God. That to, the claim to deity is something that we foisted on to Jesus later. Uh, but the Jesus who came and taught, he never claimed uh, to be God. Uh, we're the ones who did that. And so we're going to take a look at Jesus' claims uh, today. We're going to start in John chapter 1. And this is what the Bible, this is what the Gospels declare, one of Jesus' closest followers declare about Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word there, that's Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Then we drop down to verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible declares over and over and over again that Jesus is God. And he's God, he was God from the very beginning. From the very, clear back in Genesis 1.26, the Bible says, God said, let us make man in our image. And you read through the creation account, and you see that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were involved in creation. They have been involved in this whole thing from the very beginning. 
Now, when Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, he made some claims for himself while he was here on earth. And, and this is where the controversy, this is where the conflict starts. Because Jesus claimed to be God. Throughout his teaching ministry, in John 10.30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. John 14.7, if you know me, you know the Father. John 12.45, whoever sees me sees the one who sent me. And so these comments and many others like them convinced the religious leaders of Jesus' day that Jesus was a blasphemer claiming to be God. So they arrested him and put him on trial. Matthew 26, it says, The chief priests, looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. I mean, Jesus was such a trouble for these guys that they were willing to try and get false charges, trump up something on him, accuse him of it so they could execute him and get rid of him. The problem was they couldn't make any of the false evidence stick. They couldn't get any of the false stuff to stick. So finally they just flat out asked him, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. And that's why they crucified him. They didn't crucify him because of some trumped-up charge. They didn't crucify him because he was a good moral teacher. They didn't crucify him because he was a political reformer speaking truth to power. They crucified him because he claimed to be God. Now that may not be a problem for you, but it's a problem for many in our day. Probably many in your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends. And they have an even bigger problem with the second claim of Jesus. Jesus claimed to be the only way. Claimed to be the only way. You're either going to spend eternity in heaven or you're going to spend eternity in hell. And Jesus claimed that he's the only way to get into heaven. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And that way passes through Jesus Christ. He's the only way. John 14, Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to go to heaven and prepare a place for them. Thomas says, Lord, if you're preparing a place for me, I need to know the way to get there. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are serious, serious claims on Jesus' part. He says, I am God. I am the only way to get to heaven. Mark 8, Jesus asked his disciples, he says, well, who do people say that I am? They said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say you're Elijah returned. Some say you're one of the other prophets. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And the disciples agreed that Jesus Christ it, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. C.S. Lewis, in, in his book, Mere Christianity, makes this defining statement. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said, okay, I and the Father are one, I'm the only way to heaven, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who would say he was a poached egg or he would be the devil of hell because he's deceiving everybody about salvation. 
you must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Jesus is either God and the only way to heaven, or everything he said and did collapses under a lie. The only valid responses we can have to Jesus' claims is Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Those are your options. Either he's lying and making the whole thing up, or he's a lunatic, crazy as somebody who thinks they're a poached egg, or it's true. He is God. He is the only way. He's our Lord. Dr. Simon Greenleaf was a, a brilliant lawyer during the early 1800s, one of the founders of Harvard Law School, and his area of expertise was in the examination of evidence. And much of what he wrote clear back in the early 1800s still guides how we view evidence in our courts today. And he, Greenleaf was not only a lawyer, but he was a devout believer in Jesus Christ, and he was an expert in the field of Christian apologetics an expert at arguing from the evidence for the, the faith, uh, Christian faith. And Greenleaf determined that there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection than for just about any other event in all of human history. More evidence for the resurrection than just about any other event. And it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that proves that Jesus is who he said he is. It's the resurrection that proves that Jesus is God. Because Jesus could have come and done all the great teaching that he wanted to, claimed that he was God, but if he just lived and died and then faded from history, which lots of people have done. Lots of people have come and claimed to be something they're not. Lots of people have claimed to be God, claimed to be a false messiah, claimed to be the way to heaven, and they've just died and wound up in the dustbin of history. But the resurrection proves that Jesus is who he said he is. And I want us to look at some of the ramifications for us regarding the deity of Jesus Christ. What does it mean for you and me when we see Jesus as God? In Philippians, Paul says this. He says, therefore. And, and when you see therefore, you've got to know what it's there for. Exactly. And earlier he talks about Christ was in heaven. He was God in heaven. He came to earth took on the form of man, died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead, and because of all of that, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Circle that phrase, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, circle that phrase, every tongue confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's going to come a day, there's going to come a time, when everyone will see Jesus as God. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is God. The question is, is are you going to bow the knee and confess with the tongue willingly in faith and belief and obedience? Or are you going to do it because you've been coerced 
by the sovereign God of the universe and convinced that, yeah, it's time. That's him. Bend your knee. Proclaim him as Lord. You know, which one is it going to be for you? Well, for those of us who do it willingly, here and now, in this life, God offers us some benefits. Jesus offers some things to those who see that he is God. And in the next four points here, the key is not really the fill-ins. The key is, is what Jesus wants us to experience about these next four. God wants us to experience these four things. Because Jesus is God. And so I just have been praying this week. I just really want you open to receive these four things. I want you to encourage you just to ask God, God, I want these four things to be an active part of my life as I recognize Jesus as God. So number one, because Jesus is God, you can experience his power. Not just know he's powerful, but experience his power. There is a difference between knowing something and experiencing something. There's a blind man that came to Jesus, and uh, Jesus packed mud on the man's eyes and told him to go to the pool and wash it off. And I just wonder what this blind guy is thinking as Jesus is packing this mud on his eyes. I wonder if he's thinking maybe Jesus is the lunatic that we were referring to earlier. But in faith, he obediently does what Jesus tells him to do. And so he walks down the street with mud caked all over his eyes, finds his way to the pool, washes it off, and miraculously, he can see. He experienced the power of Jesus as God. And once again, the religious leaders come on the scene and and they want to know how Jesus did this. They want to find something wrong with what Jesus did so they can arrest him, try him, and execute him. And so they bring this guy and they bring his parents in. And they're quizzing the parents about what happened. And the parents finally say, look, he's a grown man, ask him. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He said, I don't know. I just, I was blind, now I can see. I experienced the power of what he can do. And God wants you to experience the power of Christ in your life, to experience the power of the resurrection in your life. Next to this point, I want you to write down the phrase, just write down this question, am I desperate for God's power? Are you desperate for God's power to show up in your life? Because the tougher the situation, the bigger the need, the more desperate you are for God's power. And personally, I've experienced God's power in my life in many ways, and sometimes it's been in the arena of physical power, physical healing. I mean, I've never been blind and had mud put on my eyes, But I've been weak and sick and even lame and had the power of God show up and I've been able to do things that I didn't have the strength to do or I've just flat out been healed. But I believe God's power is not just on the physical side or on the healing side. I believe God's power is on the spiritual side, the forgiveness side. And the greatest evidence of God's power in my life is the forgiveness of my sins. I mean, Jesus' opponents argued with him about this. They argued with him when he healed on the Sabbath. They argued with him when he forgave sins on the Sabbath. You know, they struggled with everything Jesus was doing. And Jesus finally said, well, which is easier? 
to, to heal somebody physically or to forgive their sins. And I'd submit it's pretty hard to forgive sins because if you're going to do that, you've got to come at it from the angle of a perfect God, a perfectly righteous being who's never sinned. And the fact that God can forgive me of my sins, that a perfect God can look down from heaven and see Kelly and see all the selfish junk in my life and say, because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, I'm going to move your sins as far as the east is from the west. I mean, that's, just, that's the greatest power I can imagine in my life. It's greater than any physical healing or material blessing I've ever received. Seriously, knowing my sins are forgiven and I'm bound for heaven, I mean, I can put up with anything down here. I don't care what the struggle is or the illness is or the difficult situation. If I got the hope of heaven and the forgiveness of my sins, that's the greatest thing I could ever have in my life. And if you've never experienced God's power in forgiving your sins, I just pray that you'll, you'll find that today as you see Jesus as God. Because Jesus never intended for his people to live powerless. He, he, he promised us the power of the resurrection. The, the, the Greek word for power in those passages is, is the word dynamis. It's the word where we get the word dynamite. God is offering you an explosive power in your life through the power of the resurrection. But that won't happen. It won't happen until you see Jesus as God. Second thing, Jesus wants us to experience his presence. There is no substitute for the presence of God. In life, if God doesn't show up, we're in trouble. And you can plan and prepare and perform all you want, but if God doesn't show up, you're in trouble. Because apart from God's presence, there is no power. Apart from God's presence, all there is is chaos and disorder and defeat. That's why so many people live the kind of lives that they live. Because in the Bible, it tells us that when God removes his presence, things fall apart. Next to this point, I want you to write down the word worship. Worship. Worship is one of the five purposes that God made you for. Worship must be a valued part of your life. If your worship isn't vibrant and alive, you, you are missing out on the presence of God in your life. 1 Corinthians, Paul instructs the believers in the church in Corinth. He says, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, while everybody is speaking truth, speaking love, worshiping in spirit and in truth, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Paul says if the church is truly experiencing the presence of God, it's going to be a mighty witness to unbelievers. Because God inhabits the praise of his people. And so each week, we pray, we plan, we prepare, we practice, so you can have a dynamically powerful worship experience here at Rockbrook. And specifically, we're praying, planning, preparing, and practicing for the presence of God to show up. One of the praise I pray every week, before the service, before the sermon, I say, God, if you don't show up, it's all in vain. 
And I just plead with God to show up for his presence to just overwhelm us in this place. But my larger prayer is that you will experience the presence of God, not just here, but everywhere. Monday morning at work, Tuesday night at soccer practice, Wednesday night at small group, Thursday at school, Friday night, date night, Saturday mowing the yard, in the doctor's waiting room, in line at the grocery store, eating dinner with your family, running errands. My prayer is, is that you will develop a heart and habit of worship to the extent that God's presence inhabits every moment of your life. So that as you've been experiencing God's presence in your life all week, you know, it's not that you come here on Sunday and get all juiced up and then go out for the week and then fizzle and run out and have to come back next Sunday for more. No, in fact, it's just the opposite. As you go out and you are worshiping and experiencing God's presence all week, God's power is flowing through your life as you come and gather as the body of Christ here on Sunday. The worship that you have been experiencing all week builds into a crescendo that just explodes because of the power and presence of God in each of your lives and here in this moment. The key to the presence of God in your life is worship. And God wants you to experience that. Third key, God wants us to experience his peace. Jesus never promised that life would be easy. Jesus never promised that all the pieces would fall in place and we'd just walk down this easy path. In fact, he promised the exact opposite. Jesus promised that we would have trouble. Jesus promised that we would face persecution. But he also promised that in the face of trouble and in the face of persecution that we would have his peace. That's the word I want you to write next to this one. Is I want you to write the word prayer. Prayer. John 14, Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus wants us to have peace in every situation. And so when you find yourself in a difficult spot, you just need to stop and pray. Because prayer reintroduces God's peace into your life. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It's on the screen. It's not on your notes. I'm sorry. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. How can you have the peace of God as you stand in a hospital and watch a family member die of cancer? It transcends all understanding. How can you have the peace of God as you stand in your boss's office and he tells you that you're laid off? It transcends all understanding. How can you have the peace of God as thugs come into your church service and beat the pastor senseless and arrest him? It transcends all understanding. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We can experience Christ's power, Christ's presence, Christ's peace, but only... If, number four, we experience his salvation. If you're here today and you've never seen Jesus as God, 
if you've never bowed your knee and confessed with your mouth, that's him. He's my Lord. I mean, maybe you've known Jesus your whole life. I mean, I knew Jesus. I knew about him until I was 18. And finally at 18, it clicked with me. You know what? He is who he says he is. He is God. He's my Lord. And I need to confess that. And I need to obey him and follow him and do what he says. I need to trust in him. Last week, we talked about three different ways of seeing the resurrected Christ. We can just glance at Christ as we kind of go on our way, just give him a quick look and keep on moving. Or we can gaze at Jesus and even come up with our own theory about who he is. That's real fashionable in our day. You know, I think Jesus is, and then we describe you know, this false god, this idol that we've created it out of our own mind. You can gaze at Jesus and come up with your own theory. Or you can genuinely get it. You can genuinely see Jesus as God, as the scripture portrays him to be. And we can look so deeply into him that we experience his power, his presence, and his peace in our life. But that all comes after we experience salvation. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus Christ longs to have a relationship with you. He longs to be your God. He longs to pour his power into your life as you desperately depend on him. He longs to be present in your life every moment of every day. He longs to provide you with his peace in the midst of your storm. And most of all, he longs, longs to save you. He longs to show you the way to the Father, the way to heaven. Let's pray together. If you're here today and, and you need to open your eyes to see who Christ is, maybe for the very first time, or if you're here and you've, you've lost sight of the deity of Christ, maybe life and strife and worry and chaos have crowded Christ out of your life, that this is your moment. This is your moment to fix your eyes on Christ and see him as God, your God. Father, we thank you for your word, which helps us to see Jesus for who he is. We, we thank you that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I pray that today we would clearly see that. And as a result, we would experience Christ's power, presence, peace, and salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.